Okay, so we're going to start with the Gemara and uh, Fidema Beis. It is about uh, a third of the way down. Last word of the line is Amar. First word of the next line is Yehuda. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Mutter Lishan, Bekila, Vesukah. You're allowed to sleep in a kila inside a sukkah. Even if it happens to have a gag, again, the function of it is a sheet to be a privacy blocker. Uh, to maintain privacy. Um, and even if there's a roof on top of it, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't count as an ohel, as a mechitza between you and the srach, and everything's fine. But then it adds a major, major uh, clause in that halacha. That's only on condition that it's not ten tall. Once it's ten tall, then it's, it's way too much of a mechitza, and uh, you can no longer sleep inside that kila. Tashma. Hayoshan, the kila, basuka, some sleeps inside his kila, and sukkah, lo yotarecha basa. So how do we resolve that apparent contradiction? Our kila is okay to sleep in, and they're okay to sleep in. So we already know the answer. Hachav ma'askin. Here, what we're dealing with is kishagavoyasar. If it's ten tall, and that resolves that one because when it's ten tall, in fact, you cannot sleep there. But if it's not ten tall, then it's okay to sleep there. Mesavir. We're going to challenge these. Hayosham betachas hamita The very first mission that we did many many moons ago, and davchaf amibez mesachasukah. If someone sleeps underneath a bed inside a sukkah, lo yosei chavasu not yotze. And uh, so, again, what's the halacha? Are you allowed to sleep underneath something or not? Here they say you're not. So, now we already established that it's talking about a case where it's in fact 10. Therefore, so to speak, we're consistent so far. Things that are 10 are a problem. Things that are less than 10 are not a problem. Shalom Yisrael. Tashma. Here's another proof. O Shapir Salgabi Kinofos Psula. So we said in our very own Mishnah, if you put the sheet on top of the Kinofos, which is a four-post bed, which in, for all intents and purposes is very similar to the Kila, it has a nice flat roof on top of it, then a psula is no good. So how do you resolve that one? So we'll give the same answer. Hasam Nami, there too. To give vi asara, it is ten tfachim high, and that's why it's a problem over there. So very nice. So now we have consistency. We have kila, mita, and kinofos. All four of those cases are cases where it's more than ten tfachim tall, and that's the reason why it counts as an L between you and the top. Then where it says that that's a problem, because we have explicit sources in Tanaic literature and Brysos that say that even if it's less than 10 Tvachim, the Kinov is going to be a problem. And here we go. But Halok Tanyach, he doesn't say that. You know, it's nice you're giving that answer that it's 10 Tvachim tall by the Kinov, and that's why it's a problem. But that's not what it says in the Brysa. It's Tanya. It says in the Brysa, Naklitin Shnaim. Naklitin Mita is a case where you have a two post bed. And remember, we established that means it's a slanted roof, there's no one Tvach roof. And that's the reason why it's okay. The kinofos arba, and the definition of a kinofos is when it's a four-post bed, and therefore it's a flat roof on top. Pierce, agabi kinofos p'tula. If you put a sheet on top of the kinofos between you and the schach, it's no good. Agabi neklitin k'sher. If you put it on top of the two-post bed, it is good. But now here we go. Ubulvad shelo yu neklitin gavoy minamita asar. As long as the neklitin are not ten tall. So what's the major idea here? The Gemara is going to speak it out right now, but we'll just speak it out ourselves first. Is that we're saying kinof is no good. Nakhlitin is good, except for when it's 10. So very clear diak is that kinev is no good even if it's not 10. That's a very explicit diak over here. So it says the Gemara, Michlal, you can learn from here, you can infer from here, the kinofos, avopisha, ingavonasar, that kinofos are a problem even though they're not 10 tall. So now we have inconsistency. We have kila, needs to be 10 tvachim to be a problem. We have mita, at least so far we establish, has to be 10 tvachim tall. And now kinof, we're saying, is a problem even if it's less than 10 tvachim tall. So the Shemar answer is shiny kinofos dekvi. Kinofos are different because they're much more permanent structures. They're much more significant structures. And therefore, it takes less to make it that it's an ohel blocking you from your srach. 
if you say some sort of flimsy temporary structure, then you're really basically inside the sukkah. Um, we didn't get into this much, but it's a massive, massive sugya. If it's raining at all, can you just hold an umbrella? Umbrellas are temporary structures, so it's like the best of both worlds. You're inside your sukkah, but you're not being rained on. So again, it's a whole discussion of a different time, why the minig is not that way. There were a lot of rebels that would do it anyway, that would be most enough to stay in the sukkah. But again, you could hear, at least from our sugya, what the lamdas is, if it's not kavua, then what's the big deal? So if it's kavua, it's really strong, permanent, and, 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 and significant structure, then even if it's less than 10 tzvachim, it causes a mechitza. But if you have a kila, or if you have a, um, um, a mita, which are more metaltalin, they're more movable, they're less permanent, etc., then there it's only a problem if it's 10 tzvachim tol. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to ask a question. Baharei, sukkah, agabi sukkah, the case of a sukkah on top of a sukkah, the kviya, the top sukkah is, I guess, in the big picture of things, relatively kavua, it's relatively significant. And we established on the previous Amud that how big does the top sukkah have to be to ruin the tabanah sukkah? According to Shmuel, it has to be ten tzvachim. So the question on the table, at least on the surface, seems to be a bam kasha. We're going to end up saying it's not really much of a kasha at all. But on the surface, it seems to be a bam kasha is that you're telling me that significant things only count as a real ohel. Sorry, significant things count as an ohel even less than ten tzvachim. So why do we say that the top sukkah only ruins the bottom sukkah if it's ten tzvachim tall? It's a real significant structure. It should ruin the bottom and even less than ten tzvachim tall. That was the question on the table now. So I'm going to speak out the answer outside, and then we'll read it again inside. So the answer the Gemara gives is that well, well said, if you're talking about the lachas of Ohel, but if you want to purely talk about the sukkah, they just have different parameters altogether. The sugya we learned of sukkah al-gabi sukkah had a special drasha that said, if you have something that's called halachically a sukkah, then it ruins the bottom sukkah um, if api halacha is called a sukkah. And that's how Shmuel said it. So Shmuel said, if the top one's less than 10 tvachim tall, it just doesn't have the halacha of a sukkah to ruin the bottom one. And it's just two sukkahs, and that's, and that's fine. But if the top one is a kosher sukkah, that's when it ruins the bottom one. So we're not arguing if something that's significant, that's less than 10 tefachim tall, counts as an ohel. Great, it's an ohel. It's an 8 tefachim tall sukkah on top that's called an ohel. But it's still not possible the bottom one because it doesn't count as a sukkah on top of a sukkah. But if you're inside a sukkah, and you're inside a bed, and the bed is kavua, and it's 8 tefachim tall, well, that will, in fact, be an ohel to block from you being inside the sukkah. So there's just different rules. So again, like I said, on the surface, it's a very nice kasha, and it's definitely a, a valid kasha to bring out the point that we have to make. But the point being is that they just have different rules. A sukkah on top of a sukkah is only a sukkah on top of a sukkah is ten tefachim. To be in an ohel inside a sukkah to ruin your presence there, even less than ten tefachim is a, is a problem if it's kavua. I can say it again if you want Rabbi to. Robert? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so the pro- I understand the sukkah on top of the sukkah, but the, the beds, we're saying now... The issue is it's an ohel based on tumah. I mean, I don't know if we're using formal ohel tumah halachas, but we said an ohel by tumah is one tefach. It's it's more like you know, is there? I would I would use the word mechitza more. Is there a break between you and the schach or not? Are you inside a sukkah? That's really the big question. Are you inside a sukkah or not? Are you able to use modern day wording? Are you in your own pot or not? Right. So okay. if the structure you're in is a significant structure with a flat roof, even less than 10 tzvachim is significant enough that you're not sitting in a sukkah right now. You're sitting inside that little bed. You're sitting inside that, that right, the, the kinov. But if it's not so significant, then you really just sleep in the sukkah altogether. Okay. If you sleep underneath a, 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 a table in the sukkah, the table doesn't 10 tzvachim tall, even though when you look on top of your head, you see a table, but really, you're sitting inside the sukkah. It's just not, it's just not significant enough of a structure to ruin your, your, the fact that you're really sitting inside the sukkah. Okay. So it's not 
more than yes, not, it's not too structure. much. Yeah, structure. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Okay, so the more to this question that we said, one second. So you're telling me that a kinov is a problem less than a ten, but why is sukkah on top of a sukkah have to be ten to ruin the bottom one? So we answer Amri Hasam Dilamistal Sukkah Basara. Here you want to invalidate the sukkah underneath it. It has to be ten tall. Because of the rule that we said before, it has to be kosher one through in the bottom one. Hacha de l'shavuye o'ala, batzer miyasara, nami have o'ala. But here you want to make, l'shavuye means you want to create, make it equal to, make it have a status of an o'el. Batzer, batzer means less than, batzer miyasara, less than 10, nami have o'ala, could be an o'el. Therefore, these have different rules, and therefore you can't ask a kanasha. Okay, new material. Amar of Tachlifa baravimi. Amar Shmuel. Rav Tachlifa, the son of Avimi, says the name of Shmuel. Hayashan Bekila Arum. If someone sleeps unclothed, completely unclothed, inside a kila, what do you do to be able to make a bracha? You can't make a bracha if your head sees your erva. So what do you do if you want to make a bracha? So it says the Gemara as follows. Hayashan Bekila Arum. Someone sleeping unclothed, naked, inside a kila. Motzi Rosho sticks his head Chutz the kila outside the drapes of the kila. Vikari Kriyashma. Is allowed to say Kriyashma at that point. Now, a little bit of background. Okay? If someone is in a permanent structure, okay, and they are completely unclothed, for some reason they have no clothes with them to be able to put them on or cover themselves up, and they want to say Shema, okay? Now, they can't have their eyes see their heart, their, their erva, sorry. So what do they do? So they'll say, okay, I'll stick my head outside the window. Everything's great. And a permanent structure, we say the head follows the roiv, and therefore it didn't work. It didn't help you. Your head being outside the window doesn't help you. If you have a real house, let's say for some reason I was in my own house, um, I'm unclothed, I want to say Shema, I have nothing to cover myself up with, I'll say, great, so I'll just put my head in a different domain, put my head outside the window, everything's fine. The halacha is, doesn't help because your head goes after the roi, which is your body, which is inside the house, right? But it only applies if your body is in a significant structure. If your body is in an insignificant structure, it's not a hush of enough domain to draw your head after the rest of the body, okay? So a kila, which is not like a real significant structure, if you want to be able to say Shema, just take your head outside the sheet, keep your rest of your body inside the sheet, and your head doesn't get drawn after the status of the body, everything's fine, you can say Shema. But if your, head, if your body would be in a more significant structure, just sticking your head out would not be good enough. I can repeat that again, but that's, okay, just fascinating halakos, but that's halakos. Okay, so here we go. So let's read this all inside now. So we have, Amar of Tachlifa Baravimi, Amar Shmuel Hayashim Bekila. Someone sitting inside a kila, Aram, unclothed. Motzi Rosho Chutzla Kila. He just has to stick his head outside the sheet of the kila. Vikari Kriyashma, and he's not a Kriyashma. The more is going to challenge this, Mesave. Hayashim Bekila Aram Lo Yotzi Rosh Chutzla Sukkah Lekila Vikari Kriyashma. So we have another source that says the exact opposite, that you cannot stick your head outside and read Shema. Answers the Gemara, Hachamai Skin, and here what are we dealing with? Kishagavoa Sara. We're dealing with Tentvachim. So basically, it's almost using the same exact rules as we had before by ruining your presence in the Sukkah. 
a kila is more significant once it's ten tefachim tall. So just like we saw before, you're allowed to sleep inside a kila if it's less than ten tefachim inside a sukkah, but you can't sleep inside a kila if it's ten tefachim, because at that point it became more significant. Well, so too for a totally different set of halachas altogether, the halachas would be able to read Shema naked, the halacha is that if the kila is less than ten tefachim tall, it's not significant enough of a structure to draw your head after the rest of the body, and therefore you're yotze. But if the kila is ten tefachim tall, then it's a chash of a domain, and your head will get drawn after the rest of your body, and you are not yotze kriyashma. Can I ask a silly question? Or yes. Um, for the Macy day, you know, for the question, hayasham kila aram lo yotze rosh, you know, rosh. Right. So, I just, I, my, my curiosity is like, why would it even go there if, if, if it's over ten tefachim, then it wouldn't be allowed in the sukkah anyways, and you wouldn't be yotze your field. Well, this love doesn't even talk about circus. Oh, okay. Yeah, nothing to do with circus. This is a totally different halachas. Uh-huh. Stam, you're, you're, it's the middle of December. You're in your kila. You want to say kriyash malamita, and you have no clothes. <laughs> what do you do? You're nothing to do with circus. Okay. Yeah. So if it's less than 10, then you can't. If it's less than 10, the structure is not significant enough to draw your head after the rest of the body. Put your head out. You're fine to go. But it, once the kila is a chash of a domain, then it actually makes your head follow the majority, and by you putting your head out, didn't help enough. So it's almost—it's not—it's so almost a little bit counterintuitive. It doesn't go by like literally: does your head see your naked part of your body or not? It goes by halachically: is your head in a different domain than your body? And if the if the bed is a significant domain, then it'll draw your head after it, and now your head's no longer in a different domain. But if the bed is a insignificant domain, then your head gets its own status, and now it's a different domain. It's fine. A weird kind of concept. You're sticking your head out. Here, look at the last Rashi in the daf if you want to see that. Rashi says, Vikori Kriyashma, the cave of the lav ohel who, since it doesn't count as an ohel, lo amrina, we do not say the following concept. Lamakum shirubo sham rosho nizrak. Right, that's a phrase. The place that your majority is. Um, your head gets thrown after that. <laughs> I translated it a little more in Englishized for you until now. But that's a concept. The place that the majority of your body is, that's where the head is. So we don't say that when it's not an OL, because it's not chashav enough to throw your head after the rest of your body when it's not an OL. Right? Velitzer, mishum lo because then, right, and then, your, then if your head is in the same category, same domain as the rest of your body, then it's a problem of lo yir b'chay It's not so much about Different domain. It's a different domain. That's really the the, the Seeing is also an issue, but uh, oh, you know, here here you cover the seeing part, but you just didn't cover the domain part. Right. Hundred percent. Exactly what's happening here. So again, it ends up being we see just see consistency over here that a kila is only a significant structure once it's ten, less than ten. That a you can sleep there inside a sukkah, and b a totally different set of halachas is that if you stick your head out, you can say shema even if you're not dressed. Okay, and that's just we're seeing that consistency. So let's, let's just read those shitas again. Um, uh, a yashan, yashan, last word of the line, by eight lines up. 
Bekila, arm someone sleeping inside a kila unclothed. Motzi Rosha Chutzel he should just stick his head outside the kila. Yikari Kriyashma, and he can read Kriyashma, and everything's fine, his head's in a different domain. Mesave, the more challenges this, Hayashim Bekila, arm lo Yotzi Rosha Chutzel Kila, Vikari Kriyashma. You should not stick your head outside, meaning it's not going to work, therefore there's no point in doing it. So how do we resolve the contradiction? Is stick your head out help? Does stick your head out not help? So the answer is more. How can I askinon gishagavah sar? We're dealing with the case that it's more than ten tall, and that's when it doesn't help to stick your head out because your head is nizrak basaroyva, as Rashi says. Your head gets thrown after the majority, and it's all considered to be one domain. Hachanami mistavra. This is actually mistavra to say this is a good resolution to the steer by kriyashma. Midiktani seifa, because when the seifa over there discusses the halacha of saying shema. Unclothed, the seifa of that brisa says as follows: What's it similar to when you're trying to stick your head out of a kilo? And we say it's no good. The muscle that it gives for the kilo being not good is a house. Just like you shouldn't stick your head outside the window of a house and say shema because your head gets drawn after your body, so too the case of the kilo being no good is similar to a house. Shema mi na, that we're dealing with the case that the kila is no good, only when it's a significant structure. I mean, we have this stira. One source says, stick your head out of the kila, it's fine. One source says, stick your head out of the kila, it's not fine. We answer that it's only not fine if the kila is significant, where it's ten tefakim tall. The Gemara is just supporting itself by saying that it's only not a problem, it's only a problem, sorry, when it's a significant structure, by the fact that the mission itself in the Seifa gives a muscle for a kila and says it's similar, to, it's similar to a house. If you're in a house and stuck your head out, um, you would not be Yotze, so too by kila you're not Yotze. Well, then it's really only a problem by kila if it's somewhat like a house where it's a significant structure. If it would not be a significant structure, then go ahead and stick your head out, it'll be fine. What's the problem with, with the person who make it what? Oh, so Rashi says there's a pasuk lo davar. Pasuk says you cannot you cannot see a erva part of your body while saying the holy words of Shema. So if it's a if it's a physical thing of seeing yourself, so then the situation is the same. You you lying in a bed and you you put your head out and you can't see yourself. So. Right. What's the difference so saying so so the, the, apparently there's two rules here. One of them is is that. Um, a, you cannot physically be seeing it with your open eyes. The other one is, is bees. You can't be in the same domain as it. There are halachas. For example, I mean, I'll, I'll just be a more straightforward example. If a man is about to say a bracha and there's an immodestly dressed woman directly in front of him, closing his eyes doesn't help. It's not good enough. It's not, it's not halacha okay. people know well enough. It's complicated halachas, really. <laughs> you should teach it more often, just no one wants to hear it. But the point being is, is that it's not good enough to close your eyes. If she's in a different domain and you close your eyes, then you're Yotze. So, for example, so for example, um, people just just getting, give you one sniff of, of the halachas is that a, a woman that's not dressed modestly on a screen is called a different domain, interestingly enough. So the halacha is that if you're on an airplane or someplace that, that somebody's on a screen in front of you, closing your eyes is good enough because you got both. You got both. You're not, you're not seeing it, and it's a different domain. But if a physical woman is actually right in front of you, you're at a meeting and the lady is completely modestly dressed and you want to make a bracha on your drink, um, to just close your eyes is not good enough to make the bracha. You'd actually have to, like, ideally not even just shift your head, shift your body. And, like, you know, like, uh, you know, like, do, like, some sort of move that you're not, like, embarrassing her completely and shift your body in a totally different direction and close your eyes, and then it'll be, uh, it'll be a little bit better. But it's, it's very complicated when it's, uh, you know, what, what you can do, what you can't do. But, degrees away from her or is that 
I don't even exactly know. Yeah, I don't exactly know. There's kulas. Let's say, for example, hair, even though hair is mechuyevus to cover, we're makel on hair. You can make a brach in front of it if you need to. Really? Yeah. That, you can make a brach in front of it. So this, this is, again, we're sidetracking. I don't mind the sidetrack. But um, there's a famous slash infamous Aruch HaShulchan that people who do not cover their hair, they use the Aruch HaShulchan as the basis for their position. But the Aruch HaShulchan, he's not his fault. I'll tell you what he says in a second. The Aruch HaShulchan says that since now, you know, you should not make a bracha in front of a woman who has her hair uncovered. But since nowadays it's so common that women don't cover their hair, it doesn't count as much as a makam erva, and therefore there's leniency to make a bracha in front of them. So people, he's not saying it's okay to not cover your hair. <laughs> he's just saying that Lamaisa, it's reached the point where there's enough people that don't do it, that the halachas of brachas in front of them changed a little bit. But you have to cover your hair. But there are people out that use our chashulchan, and it's like, well, hey, it's clearly the minute you change, and they're not have to cover hair anymore. Is it the same thing with Imanis Dresser? No. For some reason, it's, even, even, if, even if everyone dresses that way, for some reason, it's just like unacceptable. What do you do in that situation? Because this happens to people before. You have a, a, you know, a Jewish lady over. You show her sh- sh- shaman, she, you know, right. doesn't very much. Um, I mean, if it's a skirt, hopefully it's under the table. Um, if it's an upper part of her body, um, ideally you should at least close your eyes and turn in a different direction. Like, really? yeah, ideally. It's, it's not a simple thing. You have to do it in a way that's uh, mentally, and not, you know, be my vice or rob him. You yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't look at you. Next time, get this right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some famous like cure rabbis that just have it down pat so much. They have all these scarves available, and they're like, you know, throw this on or whatever it is, and they try to do it to the best of their ability. The one thing I don't get, to be honest, is is uh, people that have. I should say the one thing I don't get. The only thing I don't get, but there's one thing I really don't get: is people have maids that don't dress modestly. You're the boss. I, I, just, I just don't get it. Like, you're the boss, and fire her otherwise. Unless you, like, you need her so bad, it's hard to get a good maid. But I've been in some people's houses that the maids are dressed like, it's one thing it's like a t-shirt like up to here. She's, she's washing or cleaning your house. Like Maybe you could be a little bit makele about that. But very often I've seen them dressed completely immodestly. And like, for some reason, people just are so afraid to say things to people. Like If I own a company, like the uniform of the company, but you have to dress modestly. No, like, can't, don't you have the right to do something like that? Is it like, is there, are there like, laws against that? No. Right? Right. I don't know, whatever. Uh, either way, fine. I guess we'll stop here. But, um, but, uh, can, you, can you do the last two lines again? I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. The bias was the seifa of the case of the kila that was, not, that was not good enough to stick your head out. So we're just saying that the, bi- that the fact that, meaning we had a steer. One case where it says kila, stick your head out, is fine. One case that kila, stick your head out, is not fine. And we had to resolve that contradiction. We said, oh, no, the case where it says it's not fine is a case where it's more significant. It's 10 fucking tall. And the support for our answer that the one that was not going to stick your head out is when it was more significant is the fact that the price itself compared it to a house. So clearly, when it's more significant is when it's a promise to stick your head out. But when it's not significant, then it won't be as big of an issue. So if you have the kila inside of a house and it's more than 10 fucking, you can stick your head outside of the kila. Into the house. Yeah, into the house, but you can't stick your head from the house outside. Yes. <laughs> Sounds funny, but your ear makes sense. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> well, you don't hear that? Because the whole point... No, I, I yeah, yeah. You, you created a mini pod inside your house. It's a house inside a house inside, inside the world, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, that's 100%. That's the way it works. Here's just some pellyoids. One time a lady um, who was no exaggeration, 400 pounds. 
That's not considered. Right, that's going to be a BS thing. Yeah, one of those rules that's like, a, that's like a little plug. Like, you know, just, uh, you know. The, yeah. Okay, I want to tell you a story, but it's not appropriate for my recording. I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> um, okay, fine. So we're in the section called Asufa. Uh, we said the Sufa is the Bali Asufos, which are the Gedolim and Sadikim and Paiskim in every generation that are the Malaktim. They, they gather information. Uh, they're the ones who gather the Psakim, the ones who gather the Divay Musa, the ones who gather different things and make it accessible to other people. He says, Baruch Hashem, everyone has to be Kovayit in the Torah, but at the same time, not everyone has the opportunity and the time to, to, to research all the available literature. They don't have access to the available. So he really made it two things. It's time and access to the Svarim and really maybe even ability to do such a thing. And therefore, to, they're, they're, every generation has been given people that do the job for others to gather the information and make it available to them. You know, even uh, you know, over the last four months, there's, you know, again, I, I don't know if I showed it to you, but I have a safer. I have, I, I have already one, two, three, and I'm trying to get a fourth entire safe on Halakhas of Corona. Full Svarim. Printed, and all because of Corona, um, they, they're already out. And the people that wrote it are actually known as being Asufos. You know, they're they're, they're Balakdim. You know, some none of uh, a few of them are not necessarily much greater than other people. They're just good job at gathering the information, putting it into one place, and making it available to the public. One of them is a Russian white, so he, those are his own chuvas. So that's not that's not an, that's not Asufos. That's just himself pasking for you know Yisrael. But others, other ones are just bimalakit, and they uh, you know gathered information and made it available to the public. And he's saying that's something that's uh, very uh, praiseworthy to do. And honestly, he, you know, I wouldn't have thought this way. He puts the Rambam in that category. The Rambam was malakit from Shas halacha l'maisa. The Shulchan Aruch is malakit from Shas halacha l'maisa. That's what they did. And then I showed you some other farm, which are malakitim farm that they gather different information. A lot of parshas farm are malakitim farm. You know, lechach tov or otzas atorah. They're malakit gishmaka divreitera. And he's saying there's value to all those things and making it available to the public. It's almost like he's saying, you know, greatest hits albums are a good thing. You know, you need, you need someone to go through and, uh, you know, gather the good ones. Don't care about the mocking of those that say the following. What do we need these rabbis to get us information that's like, it's, I, I can do that myself. Right? You can't hear that kind of stuff. Like, I can do that myself. Like, I, don't need, I need him to collect that stuff for me. Right. Oh, these are people who just want to make money and want to get a good name because they put out a saver. <laughs> Again, I'm just loving this because it's showing you that the same um, cynicism that we have in 2020 existed, you know, many years ago. Sharlem uh, is a very sharp phrase. May God forgive people that talk like that because they're wrong. Shavadai Hagamer Yoser Toivim Lanu Elas Farm Shalasufos Mikolchibura Pilpulmacharifus. He says it's just so much more. I get, I get, I'm assuming what he's saying is more practical and user friendly to have these farm than all these complicated lumdishes farm that not everyone could use. 
in the end of the day, I mean, there is a benefit of learning bi'in, etc. But also, people need to come out with halacha la'maisa. People need to come out. I mean, honestly, the Mishnah Brewer is an asufos. Mishnah Brewer was asufos. Mishnah Brewer did a job that no one else really did before him, but by taking all the commentaries that are the achronim on, on Shulchan Aruch and the Shach and the Taz and the Magan Avram, etc., and be malaki them in one place and making a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. He's an asufos. So, but the Mishnah Brewer did something wrong. You know, Chavetz Chaim himself. He no. He said there's way too much lumdus out there. There's way too much other information that will be distracting to the average person. Let's make it more user-friendly. And that's a good thing, says the Pelioites. She says, most of the Lamdash farm out there, which is actually relatively true, I guess now they do more Yeshiva Bachim, they gather dust on the shelves. So, yes, it's nice. You know, he's almost saying, if anything, those who put out the Lamdash farm are the ones who are doing just for the sake of the name, because they're not even being used. Those who are putting out these other farm are making useful Things available to the public. If he spends his entire life learning the swarm that are just the lumdish and the pilpul, etc., he'll never get through anything. There's way too much lumdus out there to do that. He said, I don't think he's. he's uh, Degrading the learning of lambdas and learning of Ian. you have to. He's just saying you'll never get through everything. So you have to have another seder and other sets of svarim available to kind of give you the information you need to know to live a practical life as a yid. If you spend too much time bein, you'll never actually know enough information. It's explicit Gemari quotes. He's actually even minimized. He's saying, you know what, learn the Rishayinim. You don't have to spend that much time even learning the Achreinim that are teaching you. If you want to learn Pilpo and Be'in, stick with the Rishayinim. There's enough there. But I'm telling you, the benefit of these modern-day svarim that they're collecting information is very, very helpful. I have to add one thing, is that um, when you see the word pilpil in a safer, and from the 17 or 1800s, it's usually derogatory. Um, you know, now, like the modern-day Rosh Hashivah, or whatever it is, their pilpil is good, is good pilpil. There was a period of time in the 1700s, 1800s, that they would literally, it wasn't even like, the way I understood it from the history books, it wasn't even like an attempt to come to the MS of learning. It was almost like mental gymnastics. Like, who could do like the coolest equations with Gemaras and Rishonim and, 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 and Shtikal Tairas and like whole buildings, but it wasn't to come out with like a true understanding of the Sugya. So very often they spoke derogatorily of just Stam Pilpul Swarm that were just doing cool mental gymnastics, but weren't actually trying to come to Amitil Shal Taira. So, so I, I never know when, you know, is he referring to, like, the purely, you know, useless pilpul? Or is he even, I think he's even referring to, like, the good pilpul, just you can't spend that much time on it. You have to also spend time on the regular svarim that tell you halacha l'maysa, what to do. L'chein kol talmud chacham yirdov achareim kasher yirdov achari baharim. V'yad kol mimashmeshes b'hem kol shah. He says, at end of the day, being more straight to the point is much more helpful to people and it's more desirable to people. So interesting, straight up he's saying that, you know, make, make things short and sweet, sweet for people, otherwise they're not really going to get it. That's what he's writing. That's what he's writing. Uh, well, this also it could be, I think so. Right. Yeah. I definitely find, like, I give my Sunday morning halakos jury, I'm like, most of my job, it's a bad word to say, the, the 
the fat, but like it's, it's to carve away the information that complicates it. That it's not that it's not helpful information for me to know, so to speak, in my back of my head, or to ever learn. But when you're trying to give a shear to Balabatim who are completely unfamiliar with the topic, you need to know sometimes what just not what not to say more than to know what to to say. You know what I'm saying? And just to lay it out clearly and to organize in a in a fashion that'll be able to absorb the information, etc. And sometimes you know you go to shear madrashas where they feel like they have to say everything when they don't realize just by saying that one piece of lumdis. We'll lose everybody, and they're not going to even come out with the etc. So it's a job of, of Mechabre Svarim and for, and, and for Magide Shir to know often what not to say as much as what to say to make it that it's less complicated and user-friendly for the public. So he's a huge proponent of user-friendly Torah that Lemaisa will be absorbed and utilized by people. You know, when I write these uh, Safar Brewer booklets, uh, it's a huge debate. The people debated me on it. I don't put the sources on the bottom. It's like it's usually not done that way. You know, it's a little bit out of the box that I do it that way. Uh, the reason I do it that way is like just, just, just read this. You know, like just, you know, when I first wrote his name on it. He gives us comment to it. You read this, you're good to go. Have a nice yantiv. As opposed to like slowing down and who said that and whatever it is and getting distracted. Like without footnotes, you read the whole thing in ten minutes. You have all of Hilchos three weeks and you're you're covered. You know what I'm saying? So like that was where I have the notes at home. Like it's not like I don't know where the sources of my what my writing are. But that's part of why I do is I, I just try to make it as clear as possible. Just, just read, get it clear, move on with life, etc. You know, I'm not claiming to be massive lumber just safer that I need to have Marmot Kaimas on it. But uh, it's, de- it's been debated. People have argued with me. But, is there uh, a reason then, like, if like a regular ball of us to not learn the Zuma and instead learn, like, uh, you know, Kitchish Open Arm? Um, it depends if how often you go learn Mr. Brewer, for example. Like I had some shirim there once a week. I stopped doing Mr. Brewer during them. You go so slow, it's so confusing. You have to remember where you left off. It's not as organized as these others farm. Like when I went on Hilcha Shabbos with a shear, for example, I, I have a few kids farm that I'm just a huge fan of Hilcha Shabbos. I, I learned those farm. Because I, you know, what's the point? Of, if, if the point of my shear is to teach Mishnah Brewer, then fine. But the point of my shear is for people to know Hilchel Shabbos, then I'd rather just go. Yeah, honestly, the, the best Hilchel Shabbos form ever, Simcha Bunim Kohn's Art Scroll ones. It just just laid out super clear and glott, and you know, I don't see any reason why if someone has a seder Hilchel Shabbos, unless the point of the seder is to no more be in. The point of the seder is I have a half hour week to spend to know Hilchel Shabbos. Grab the easiest and clearest seder and learn that one. It's my my personal opinion. Okay. Have a wonderful day, Paul. Thank you so much.